Thank you, Pastor Sengkun and Doris and the team. Very good morning to everyone, and a happy and blessed fathers to all the fathers for Father's Day. And welcome back to all those who attended uh, church camp. I hope uh, you're not experiencing church jet lag, like, not jet lag, like, church lag, like I am also facing right now. Allow me to pray before I uh, begin. Father, I pray for your word that you empower me with your spirit to preach your word clearly and boldly, and all my brothers and sisters and the children who hear will hear your voice speaking to them. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children say, Amen. Very good. Now, <clears throat> now do you have a favorite? Okay, before I begin. Now, because it's a topical series in the month of June, and I guess maybe due to uh, camp, uh, still having a bit of a camp not chem phobia, but chem memories, I have taken the liberty to done a, 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 a talk, a sermon um, that is for targeted to strengthening faith and families, which is our theme, but I also maybe have uh, overdone a little bit, okay? A bit of slides, so I was thinking that maybe what might help you to track along is maybe you could download the slides first. <laughs> and there are also certain materials that I hope parents would um, take time to uh, investigate and read it for themselves. So, um, if you can, don't worry, I will, I will flash this again uh, if you don't want to take it down right now. <clears throat> okay, I'm going to change already. Yeah? Five, four, three, two, zero. No, that's okay, okay. Now, kids, do you have a favorite cartoon that is about family? Yeah, I have. And I want to share them with you and see whether you recognize any of them if your parents have sh uh, shown you, okay? Do you know what's this one? Uh, okay, let's see. I'll try again. Huh? Ooh, not working. Uh, let's try again. Huh? Okay. Flintstones. Kids, have you seen this before? No. Okay. This was first shown in 1960. Okay. You talk to your parents, you know? How about the next one? I'll try again. Are you clipping for me? I'm doing okay. All right. Oh, Flintstones. The next one? The Jetsons. Have you seen this, kids? No, yeah, I know. 1962. Your parents are probably not born yet. Okay, something a bit closer. Probably your parents are already born. Next one. La, 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 la. No? No. Have you seen this show yet, boy, kids? No? Uh, some, yes, uh, yes, all right. Well, well, I realized why I had to dig up ancient archaeological uh, finds is because there are not many shows today that talk about family. But my, one of my favorite and the newest that I recently watched with my family and my boys is this, The Incredibles. Have you seen this, kids? Oh, very good. I like this very much. Yeah. My, my whole family all likes, uh, not Dash, but Jack-Jack because he's so cute. Well. Today, I'm going to speak about families. And I've taken a, a survey of the entire Bible itself, because it's a topical sermon, to highlight certain important passages that I believe have much to tell us today about families. And yet, even though I am primarily focusing on families, parents, children, it still applies to everyone here who is not, in, uh, not married or have children. For example, if you do not have Christian parents, there are mature and godly uh, adults who can help you 
as a family of God. My primary point of today's uh, topical sermon is this. Very simple. Next. God wants to use you to disciple the next generation. God wants to use every single one of you here to disciple the next generation. For parents, your children. But for the rest of us in the, in the church, to disciple the next generation. And you don't have to be a parent to disciple the next generation. Because along the course of a person's life and journey in her faith or her, his faith to Christ, you may be a part in that discipleship process as a whole church. So even if, and even if you are single and not married, one day if the Lord blesses you with a family, this is also something for you important to know because it comes from the Word of God. So let me begin. How do I define discipleship? To put it simply, it is to follow after, to follow after something or someone. But what happens if we fail or do not do our part in discipling the next generation? What will be the consequence then? Then the consequence will be, then the world will disciple them. The world will take our place and disciple them most diligently and carefully. And the world will try to draw and seduce our children to its ways and to trap them. And one of the ways in which I know how the world is doing so is through digital devices. How do I know this? I have a few slides to show you. Next. Um, next. Okay. In the research I was, I was doing this, I was researching this uh, for the topical sermon, I found out that in global advertising for 2023 projected is 856 billion US dollars. And out of it, global digital advertising amounts to 680 million, a billion dollars out of the 856 billion, which tells you that the advertisers, those who want to promote advertise their product services and even ideologies, they know that the digital device is the way to go. Because the digital realm is where everyone will be, including children. And so they were going to invest lots of money in it because that's how you're going to influence the world. And there is already strong evidence to show how addictive and destructive, uncontrolled and unsupervised digital devices can be. Because what we are finding out is that children, our children, are getting exposed to digital devices earlier and earlier. Next slide. This was taken from MOE uh, research that they did recently and in this year, 2023. A recent study, 2021, reported that almost all infants and toddlers ages 2 and under are exposed to approximately 2 hours a day of screen time. Children as young as 6 months of age are now regularly being exposed to screens, often serving merely as pacifiers. By the age of 18, by the age of 18 to 24 months, about 90% of children are engaged in daily passive viewing of screens. This is Singapore. Now, I must tell you, when I was doing this research and I was preparing this sermon, I was very guilty because I also had contributed to this statistics too. Or so. I also had used digital devices, screen time also, to help in my 
raising of my children, not knowing the dangers that I am allowing my kids to slowly slide into. But I also know that we shouldn't just stop at feeling guilt. We should allow the guilt to move us towards repentance and a transformation, a change of way we have how we do things. And that's why I hope that this talk, this topical sermon will help you too. So I'm not here to make you feel guilty as parents. I already feel guilty, but I'm here to encourage you to, as we go on further. And you can see not only are our children being exposed to digital devices very early, but there is a very powerful and insidious reason why they are being addicted to it. Next slide. When I was studying child and adolescent counselling uh, in, in my studies itself, we were asked to read this book. It's called Glow Kids. It was written in 2017, but still continues to be a top uh, seller. And I read an excerpt about the investigation that they did. Um, this is something that is on research, real uh, hardcore data. According to Commander Dr. Doan of the US Navy, anytime that there is arousal, there can be an addiction because it feels good. Research shows that when the brain is stimulated, that arousal mechanism also stimulates the pituitary gland through the hypothalamus. So the hypothalamus pituitary adre adrenal axis HPA is also stimulated. That's the adrenaline rush that's essential with gaming. The kids' blood pressure goes up, their palms get sweaty, their pupils constrict, they are all revved up to a state of fight or flight mode. Then there's also the dopamine response in a do dopamine reward pathway, which makes the kid want to chase the adrenaline rush again. And as any neuroscientist can tell you, adrenaline and dopamine make for a potent and addictive combination. So the research they did over thousands of children and families, they realized that this was happening in kids while they are watching, uh, looking at screens and specifically gaming. And that is why it's so addictive because there is a reward system that is the, the, triggering the body, the mind, the emotions in a very artificial feeling in the way itself. But that's not the end. The insidious part about is this. Next slide. This addictive adrenal arousal is no accident. The video game business is a sophisticated, multi-billion dollar industry devoted entirely to creating addictive products aimed at defenseless kids and young people, like shooting fish in a barrel. According to Dr. Doan, the entire focus of the research and development departments of the gaming industry is to make games as stimulating and arousing to children as possible because that's what amplifies the addictive effect and sells the most game. Quote, gaming companies will hire the best neurobiologists and neuroscientists to hook up electrolytes to the test gamer. If they don't elicit the blood pressure that they should for typically 180 over 120 or 140 within a few minutes of playing, and if they don't show sweating and increase in the galvanic skin responses, they go back and tweak the game to get the maximum addicting and arousing response that they're looking for, end quote. Gaming is addictive. And this would translate not only to gaming, but also to other aspects too, social media too also. These are the research that nobody has been able to dispute. And I can tell you, as a person who was raised up during the time when uh, computers were, were uh, I won't say invented, but were introduced, I was also addicted to gaming too. 
And even as a, an adult, I tell you today, I still struggle in not allowing myself to be addicted. Now, there's more, more data as you read more about in this book itself, but I, I highly recommend you to read this. But one of the important things is that we must realize that children and even uh, young teens, our brain don't develop until the age of 24 years old. So the kids do not have the, the, the function and the tool, the prefrontal cortex to be able to help them to stop this addiction. They will just be sucked in all the way. And lastly, the last. In this book called Irreversible Damage, this reporter, Abigail Schreier, she was doing an investigation to realize why is it that girls especially shown, showed a great sense of mental health issues at a very high spike in the, twi- in the, th- in the 2000s. And her investigation led her to this uh, a few things. One of it was this. What happened? Podcast host Joe Rogan asked uh, uh, Hyde. Why the sudden spike in anxiety, depression, self-harm? Social media was Hyde's immediate reply. As Twinge wrote for The Atlantic, it is not an exaggeration to describe IHN as being on the brink of the worst mental health crisis in decades. Much of this deterioration can be traced to their phones. The iPhone was released in 2007. By 2018, a decade later, 95% of teens had access to smartphone and 45% reported being online almost constantly. Tumblr, Instagram, TikTok and YouTube, all very popular with teens, host a wide array of visual tutorials and pictorial inspiration to self-harm, anorexia, cutting, suicide. Posting one experiences with any of these afflictions offers the chance to win hundreds, even thousands of followers. Anorexia, cutting, suicide have all spiked dramatically since the arrival of the smartphone. And then this was the foundation that laid on later on the influence of transgenderism and affecting a lot of the girls especially. What we have here may not be as neutral as we think it might be. And I firmly believe, especially for us in our context in Singapore, the way the world will seek to disciple our children and even you and I is through digital devices. That is why when we are not actively engaging to disciple our children in the Lord, you can be sure no one is doing on your behalf. The world certainly is not. It will disciple your children according to its ways. And that is why it is important for us to allow the Word of God to teach us, to instruct us, to encourage us, and maybe even to rebuke us that we might return back to what was right. So there are four things that I wish to talk to you about in this uh, uh, topical sermon. Family, wisdom, family of God, and in Christ. The first one. Discipling begins in the Christian family. Our children, first experience of discipleship begins in the Christian home. We as the parents will certainly not be the only ones to disciple our children to follow Christ but we will definitely be the first. That is how God had planned for Christian homes. How in the Christian's home itself, our children's first exposure to God, 
to the idea of God, to the knowledge of God, will be from the home. And how do we know this? In Deuteronomy chapter 6, something that we are very firm, uh, uh, firmly uh, uh, familiar with, how this was where the great Shema has been pronounced, verse 4, something that is the core truth, core uh, uh, commandment for all Jewish uh, um, uh, beliefs in God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. This is so important that every Jewish child would know and every Jewish man and woman would know too. This is so critically important. But yet what I also think is critically important because it is next to this important verse itself is how God wants this to be taught to the next generation. It is significant. He says what in verse 6, And these words I shall command you to shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And this is significant. This very important Shema, important commandment, tells us that the next most important thing, next important thing is how it is to be taught in the context of a home. It is significant because at this point of time, the tabernacle has really been formed. There's a priesthood system. The religious laws and the rites have already been established. And yet, the primary responsibility of the one to communicate the knowledge of God to the next generation lies not with the priests, the high priests or the Levites, but with the parents. That is why it is so, so significant in verse 7, he goes on, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. What this tells us is how this idea of telling your children, teaching your children about God is to be done day by day, every day. Not just to be done only on a Sunday, but Monday to Saturday and Sunday as well. And it's not just only to be done day by day, it is to be done throughout the day. Do you see the caption itself? How it says you shall talk of them when you sit down in your house? And when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, at whatever posture you might be, take that opportunity to tell your children to talk about God. And this is something that I also have to, be, have to repent of because how often is my conversation with my children talking about God? Is it, is it talking more about other things, about my work, about the games, about what interests? These are not unimportant, but yet the most important thing that we must not forget as parents, is to talk to our children about God. Because where else do you expect them to hear about God? School? Maybe. Friends? Maybe. The world? Absolutely unlikely. That is why we as parents are the primary, given the primary responsibility to do this work of telling our children about God. Not only telling our children about God, but also, next slide. This is a wonderful description of how the idea of diligently teaching our children is by the commentator uh, Eugene Muriel. He says, so much so is this the case that the covenant recipient must impress the words of covenant faith into the thinking of his children by inscribing them with indelible sharpness and precision. 
because the description is almost like engraving. The image is that of an engraver, of a monument who takes hammer and chisel in hand and with painstaking care etches a text into the face of a solid slab of granite. The sheer labour of such a task is daunting indeed, but once done, the message is there to stay. Thus it is that the generation of Israelites to come must receive and transmit the words of the Lord everlasting covenant revelation. And so every day when we tell our children about our God with precision and deliberation, it is edging a chisel a bit day by day, day by day, every day, helping that when they grow up one day, this will stay and remain in them. And not only till the day when they are not only just transmitting them with knowledge, but also to be able to respond to their questions. Next slide. How in the same chapter, Moses already anticipated one day your children will come and ask you, will come in time, what is the meaning of these testimonies and statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? Then it is an opportunity for you to explain to them, to teach them even further. But it begs a question, if we are not telling our children about the wondrous great deeds about God, how wonderful, loving and amazing He is, why would they be asking questions about God? Maybe I can ask in a reverse way, what are the questions your children are asking you could be proportionate to what is in their minds? When was the last time your child asked you about God? or to explain what does this mean in the Bible. This is something that, as much as it is a command to love the Lord the God with all our hearts, it is also the same equal force of the command to teach this to our children. And it is amazing at how that not only is this a responsibility that God has given to parents, but it is a privilege because God wants to involve us in the participation in discipling the next generation. He could have done it in many other ways, honestly, but He chose to use you and I to do this great work of making an impact to the next generation. And we will see this as a consistent pattern even to the New Testament. So, as a summary, teach Talk, teach about God and His Word every day to your children. Talk about Him throughout the day's activity. Every day, every opportunity is an opportunity to talk about God to your children and be ready to answer your children's question. But when our children have grown old, maybe what they lack is no longer knowledge but something else. What will it be? It will be wisdom. Because when they have grown older and when they are going to be exposed to the world, wisdom will be necessary for them to understand how to apply God's Word in the context of life itself. And which goes to our next slide. Imparting godly wisdom is essential to discipling our children. So why is wisdom essential? Because having knowledge is not an end in itself. Having knowledge does not mean that you have wisdom. Tim Keller quoted about this Bible scholar, uh, uh, Gerhard von Rath, who knew all about wisdom literature, and he says that wisdom, according to the Bible, is competence with regard to the realities of life. Competence with regard to how life really works. So our children may, have, may know about God, but they don't know how life works, and they need wisdom from us as parents, and especially godly wisdom from God's Word. 
You can't be wise, I continue, unless you know. But you can obviously know a lot about a subject and be stupid because wisdom is knowing what to do with the knowledge and how to practically use it, end quote. And the book of Proverbs is a great source for teaching wisdom to our children. And already in the first chapter, we are immediately given two warnings if we do not take heed and have wisdom. Two things that we are warned against. Against sinners and against severe consequences. Against sinners and against severe consequences. We read in Proverbs 1 verse 8 to 10 how here again parents are given the primary responsibility to impart important godly wisdom to our children. Hear my son, your father's instruction and forsake not your mother's teaching for they are graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. Immediately, the proverb writer tells us that the context in which why wisdom is necessary because our children will come to know and mix up and not maybe not so much mix up, but be acquainted with sinners who will entice them in the ways of God. No, the world and will trap them and cause them to do horrific things. And that is why they need wisdom. And I believe especially when they go to school, maybe even, especially I think in primary school, they need wisdom to know how to understand life situation and how to navigate. So an important subject that I'm sure most parents would probably encounter is the subject of bullying. And this is something that I also have to teach my children. How, as Christians, how do we navigate with wisdom regarding a bullying encounter? Of course, I can't ask him to fight and punch back in all the way, which I used to do that. Because we are Christians now. Last time I was not a Christian. But now I have to inculcate wisdom in him. And I have to teach him that how, as Christians, we behave differently, we think differently, we operate differently. And yet, wisdom also is teaching him how to protect himself, how to be aware. These things, he will not be able to uh, uh, figure it himself. He needs his father, his mother to help him to understand how to do this. And they need it from us. Because if they don't have wisdom, then they will certainly be tempted to go the wrong path itself. Not only that, in, chapter, in verse 22 to 31, quickly here, that how the writer talks about how there's consequences if you remain as a fool without wisdom itself. And you look in bold, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. Next, when terror strikes you like a storm and when your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish comes upon you, therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way and their fill of their own devices. This is the consequence of one who doesn't have godly wisdom at all. Do you know that the fool in the book of Proverbs is described not as someone who's not, it's not someone who is dumb or slow. Rather, he can be a very intelligent and resourceful person. But he's called a fool because he chooses not to trust and fear God. But rather, he trusts and depends on his own ideas and wits. The fruit, the fruit of wisdom of godly wisdom is a healthier fear of the Lord and the deeper sense of trust in Him. 
So it is an opportunity for me to tell my sons, this is a time for you that you are all by yourself. I can't fight his battles. I wish I could, but it would only cripple him further. He needs to learn how to exercise wisdom, how to exercise trust in God, how to exercise fear in God. So I, it's an opportunity for me to tell him, learn how to pray. I share with him Bible verses. I share with him Bible passages to help him to know how to figure this out. Our children need wisdom, but the wisdom must come from us as parents. Because the world has wisdom, but the world's wisdom is evil and destructive itself. So we can see that how from the book of Deuteronomy that, and, and Proverbs, how as parents we play a vital role in teaching, guiding, and discipling our children in the Lord. It requires us to spend time with them, to teach them, to guide them. But it also requires us there, to be there to be as gatekeepers and protectors, to protect them from the daily influences of the world, which I highlighted is digital devices. But I know also for us as parents, it can be very difficult and challenging to do this because we are all already so stretched. You and I are already so stressed with work commitments, looking after our family, providing its needs, and we are already feeling so empty, we are burning on fumes, and we feel so exhausted. And all we want to do is just take a break, maybe even give up and be alone by ourselves. And this leads to our third point. Discipling them into the family of God. You know, I like memes. So if you're very funny, good memes, please always send to me. I think this meme uh, summarizes all parents, especially if you like Star Wars. Once I became a parent, I finally understood the scene where Yoda gets so tired of answering Luke's question, he just dies. <laughs> I, I don't know if you remember that. I, I, it was quite funny. I kept laughing. Even watch Star Wars, go and watch that part. Return of the Jedi. Okay, anyway. So does it feel exhausting and difficult as a parent when we think that we have to parent and disciple our children? Say, oh my goodness, Pastor Kenneth is telling us we have to do this so much more. We have to do all this on top of all that I have with our own resources and my own strength. And maybe that happens because we are thinking what we want for our children. And it may be very good and well-intended intentions. But I think this is important. Next slide. Paul Tripp talks about this in his book, Parenting. Parenting is not first about what we want for our children or from our children, but what God in grace has planned to do with us in our children. To lose sight of this is to end up with a relationship with our children that at a foundational level is neither Christian nor true parenting because it has become more about our will and our way than about the will and way of our sovereign saviour king." End quote. Now, before I continue, if you are a parent and you have not read this book yet, you need to read this book. This book has radically changed the way I parent, honestly. You need to read this book. And that is why I gave you this a cover shot itself. Basically, what God wants you to do is to disciple our children. He has already provided all the means and resources and it's all readily available. But the reason why we sometimes we don't think it's there because we are trying to do it on our own way. Paul Tripp says that, no, it's all there already provided more than enough. And how do I know this? Because 
In Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, which is a very unlikely passage that people think about parenting, but it is because every single one of us here, of us here is given the commission of discipling people. And for parents, our first target audience that we disciple are our children. And here Jesus, as he was about to leave his disciple and ascend to his father, was going to tell them, all authority in heaven on earth will be given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Yet he would not leave them alone to do this work because the work of discipleship is God's work. Not only your work, it's God's work, and he will provide. And in this passage itself, which we can explore so much, gives us enough information for us to know how we know that we have been given enough resources. And there are a number of things I want to highlight to you. The pattern in which how Jesus discipled his disciples is the same pattern in which how we ought to disciple others. Do you know that Jesus spent three years discipling his disciples in such closeness and intimacy? And do you know as parents that besides our children, we will never have such a privilege to disciple another person with such intimacy and closeness. We have that. And no one will, oh, will have that with our children. You will have that unique position to do so, to make that indelible impact. Jesus prayed for his disciples. We ought to pray for our children too also. Because you will see there is so much that we can do and yet we can't do so much. The, what I have learned as a parent is that as much as I can do with my time with them, the time that I'm not with them, I can do in prayer with my children. And I pray for them every day because I'm desperate, I'm worried, I'm anxious of how they will turn up. And so the only way, and yet it is not the least way, but the most important way to disciple our kids is through prayer. Jesus left us an example for left an example for his disciples to follow. What example are you leaving behind for your children to follow after? Jesus proclaimed his word to his disciples. Then we ought to proclaim the word of God to our children too. And, to, and Jesus was always with his disciples. And Jesus will also be with us in the in the discipleship making process because that's why he says, "Lo, I'm always with you." And it will be through the power of the Holy Spirit that He will do such a work. That is why I am so confident. If we understand this, we have everything that we all that we need to disciple our children. We don't have to look for anything else and anywhere else itself. But what is the purpose of discipleship in helping our children the purpose of discipleship is to help, our to, be, to help our children's journey to be in the family of God. That is the purpose. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus redefines what a family is. He says, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those around him, he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. There are two important implications that I want to talk about, that I want to emphasize here. One is this, that your family is no longer just limited to just a physical family because Jesus has expanded it. 
the true and even more impact, important family that matters most is now the family in Christ. Being God our Father, Jesus our brother, and all those who obey Him are our brothers and sisters. And it is such a great news. Do you know that? Because every single one of us here, whether we were born in a Christian or not in Christian family, did not have a perfect family. And it is good, thankful in many ways, even for some, that it is not the only family that we know of. Our families are broken. Our families are dysfunctional. Some come from single-parent family. Some experience divorce. Some experience a lot of animosity in the family. Family is supposed to be a place of filled with love and grace. It's supposed to be a place of safety. But some of us did not experience any of this. Instead, we may experience the opposite, abuse, neglect, hate even, and fear. And I wouldn't be surprised that many of us tried to get out of that family. So isn't it wonderful to know that now you have a family, a better family that is in Christ. But you must never know that how much it cost him for us to be in this perfect family. In your family, have you experienced the kids, have you, have you experienced the anger of your parents and punishment because of your disobedience? Do you know that Jesus experienced the full wrath of God for our sins so that we, you and I will never have to experience the ultimate wrath of God, of the Father? In your family, have you ever experienced loneliness or worse, abandonment? Do you know that Jesus experienced absolute loneliness and abandonment from God so that you and I don't have to, will never experience ultimate loneliness and abandonment in this family? Have you ever experienced rejection in your family? Do you know that Jesus experienced complete rejection from God so that you and I don't have to experience complete rejection from our Father, our God, our Father. And you and I can be sure that we will never have to experience these bad and terrible experiences that we might have once experienced in our families because in this new family, God is our Father and Jesus is our brother. That is why it is so good to know that in Christ, we have this new family. But it also has a second important implication, which is the next slide. Just because our children are born in our families, it does not make them automatically in God's family. Because they may not be in Christ yet. On the way, we pray so, but they are not there yet. That is why we have to do that part of discipling our children in the journey of being in Christ. We must not forget. We must not assume just because they are our children, they are automatically in Christ. They are not. We need to be active in that and to remember that. And the last point, which is going to be a very fast point, is this. You cannot disciple someone without having a relationship in the Lord. The next passage is very long, but I won't read it, but I want to highlight to you the ones in bold. Next slide. Uh, next slide. Wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Husband, love your wife as Christ loved. 
children obey your parents in the Lord and for the fathers and parents, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Do you see that the consistent key point, the center of how you relate to one another is in the Lord? So the question I want to ask for all of us here is, are you in the Lord? You see, if you are not even in the Lord, then the first three points mean nothing at all. So how's your relationship in Christ? The quote that was earlier shown to you is that you can teach people whatever thing you know, but you can't impart what that you do not have. You see, if Christ is not important to you, if you are not in Christ, you can't communicate that to your children at all or to the next generation. If the Lord is not important to you, He will not be important to your children. And everything that we do for our children will be for nothing. There's a beautiful poet, a poet, a poetry, a poem that I like very much that at the end of every stanza is this refrain. Next slide. One life too will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Do you know that anything that we do that is outside of Christ will come to nothing? But I guarantee you the work that you do for Christ in discipling your children or discipling the next generation in Christ will last eternally because you will see the fruits of that labor itself. I want to end with a children's book illustration. It's a good book that you should read if you have not read this to our parents, to your children. I know it can be very difficult for us and I know that as parents, we sometimes feel very alone. But let me tell you this, you don't have to. The discipling of the next generation is not just given to parents alone, but to the entire church. You can ask for help. In this book called The Boy, The Mole, The Fox and The Horse, written by Charlie McKenzie, wonderful book. It talks about a journey between these four characters. And there's a very wonderful and deep conversation that they have. In fact, Apple TV made a wonderful 30-minute animation, which I think is very beautiful. And let me highlight to you this conversation. The boy asked the horse, what is the bravest you have ever said? Asked the boy. And the horse said, help. And I believe that is, he's right. The bravest thing you could ever ask for is help because it is the most difficult thing to do. Next slide. When, you have, when have you been at your strongest, asked the boy, when I dared to show my weakness? If there is something that is preventing you from discipling your children in the Lord, would you allow that to stop that from doing so, from fulfilling the commandment and the will of God? If you need help as parents, ask for help. I know I needed help. And I asked for help too. The last one. And I think it's very beautiful. Asking for help isn't giving up, said the horse. It's refusing to give up. Don't give up, parents. I know you have, you, you like me, you have failed, you have, have regrets, but don't give up. It's not over. Ask for help. Let it be today. Let us pray. Father, I pray that all those who are here who have heard you speaking to them, may it be a word of comfort 
maybe a word of encouragement, of grace and of strength. And maybe let this be today the first time for a very long time that we be brave enough to ask for help because this work is too important, too great for us not to ask for help. And I pray for all the parents here and all who are involved in the discipling process that they will be humble and be strong to us because they, because they are refusing to give up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.